0: So Mark's been talking about uh, festivals and uh, you see the tent behind us and uh, the photograph coming up here of Glastonbury Festival, not in the last year but in years before that and uh, There are all sorts of summer festivals that happen. Glastonbury may be one of the most famous ones that has happened over the years. And in it, as you can see, there are thousands upon thousands of tents. And there's a big tent of meeting in the middle of it. And it just struck me that whenever we think of the word festival, we quite often think of something like Glastonbury. And we have a kind of a picture whenever we think of a festival that enjoys tents of something like Summer Madness, a Christian Youth Festival here in Northern Ireland, or something like Glastonbury, where thousands of happy campers gather together over their period of days and just have there's partying and there's excitement and there's music and there's just this uh, wonderful sense of this building atmosphere, this joy that is shared among the people who are there. And over the years, whenever I was a summer madness in in my teens and early 20s, there was always that real sense of community and joy, Uh, even though people were quite tired often because they weren't getting as much sleep as they would normally get. But there was this wonderful sense of the presence of God and of excitement. And I imagine that that is something of what it would be like to be At the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews, as Mark said, still celebrate this throughout the world today. Perhaps in their garden, in their porch, or on their veranda, in their house, they put up a, a tarpaulin, or a shelter, or a booth, or a tent. And it's a place of having the meals, it may be a place also of sleeping in, of inviting people over, and just a sense of community and joy in it. And it was even more so in Jesus' day. There were three main festivals. There was the, the one that happened in the autumn time, as Mark mentioned, the the, the the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the great harvest festival and had as the themes of them uh, the harvest particularly of the olives and the grapes and also of water and light, everything that's necessary for life and crops and livestock to happen. And then in the springtime, the two great festivals then, the festival of Passover and the festival of Pentecost. And so in Jesus' day, Tens of thousands of Jews would have converged on Jerusalem for these fantastic festivals and there was all sorts of food and celebrations and all sorts of ritual and liturgy that happened. And it wasn't just a party, it was a party with a purpose. It was like a, a celebration that was politically and theologically charged We probably know best the one called Passover in which there was a celebration, this remembrance of Jesus, of God through Jesus, uh, liberating the people of the Old Testament, the people of Israel, and through Moses bringing them through the Red Sea and out the other end into the Promised Land and out uh, of the place of Egypt, out of the place of being in slavery. And Jesus recognizes that that, that is the, the time and the way that his destiny seems to be moving. The Holy Spirit is guiding him in that direction. Just as the unblemished lamb was uh, slaughtered at the end of the, of the ten plagues in Egypt where God was bringing about this liberation of the people, and they would daub the blood of the lamb over their uh, household doorway and threshold, And that was when the angel of death came through the people of Israel and through the land, they would pass over the place where the lamb's blood was daubed. And that's why it's called the Passover because people were freed from death and the the Egyptians suffered a terrible tragedy. And after that, they, the oppressors, let the oppressed, the people of Israel go free. And so the people of Israel The Jewish people then celebrated this every year, recognizing that it was through the blood of the unblemished lamb who was given that they all and their ancestors and their descendants all were able to live in safety. And so Jesus recognized the Holy Spirit is obviously showing him that he is to be this Passover lamb. He is to be the unblemished lamb, the sinless one who is slain. And then, of course, there's the festival of Pentecost, where we remember that at that time, all those years ago, the Holy Spirit was unleashed upon the people of God. John is the only gospel writer to mention the Feast of Tabernacles. And whenever we think of the themes that dominate John's gospel, it's not surprising that he wants to speak about the Feast of Tabernacles, because in this agricultural harvest festival, the themes of light and the themes of water and the themes of life predominate. John's gospel, as we read in I think it's chapter 20, verse 31. John gives us the reason why he writes his gospel. It's so that people may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that through believing may have life in his name. And so this theme of life runs through John's gospel. Nicodemus has this conversation about how do you experience this life And so this theme runs through the entire gospel because John wants all of us as his readers, as his hearers, to understand how do we receive, how do we experience eternal life? How do we inherit this wonderful gift that can be enjoyed now but can also be enjoyed always that can become an everlasting gift, one that is beyond death and can overcome death, pass through the waters of death and out the other side. That's what baptism represents, going into the waters of baptism, the place of death and coming out the other side, being on that journey with Christ through death into eternal life. And so John Tells us about the Feast of Tabernacles, and I think it's for a number of reasons. The first is because it's to do with life. In this wonderful celebration at the time of Jesus, whenever there would have been prayers constantly for two things rain and resurrection. And so all throughout the celebration of the eight days, because it started with a Sabbath and ended with a Sabbath, there would have been these gatherings around the temple courts and throughout the city. And the priest would lead the people in this sort of liturgical ritual where there would be a carrying of citrus fruits and there would be waving of palm branches. And then it culminated in the last day whenever the priest would come, the high priest would pour out water and wine at the altar in the hope that this would spark off a new work of God foretold in Ezekiel chapter 47. And yet, as well as this spiritual and theological excitement and hope, and there was also this agricultural picture of life, this very practical picture of life in which the people would would thank God for the water that had come for the crops and the livestock for the year before and also to pray for water for the future in these last few days here in Northern Ireland we may well wonder why on earth do people pray for more water. But we've got to bear in mind the fact that the people of Israel had lived their their lives, had lived their history in in lands which compared to northern ireland were parched and dry and desert lands and so there was this real sense of reliance of living on the edge between not being able to have enough water and having enough water to survive and so there would be these prayers for water there would be the remembering of moses striking the rock with his rod and staff and bringing the water out for the people to have their thirst quenched and then there would be this sense of not only praying for rain, for the crops for the year ahead, but also this deep theological and soul and spirit yearning that God would free his people from oppression to the Roman Empire who treated the people with great cruelty and oppression and very heavy taxation. And so even as the Roman soldiers would probably watch from afar and when they would watch the people celebrating, they knew that this... Was a time of, of danger, of instability as far as the Roman Empire were concerned because the, the zealots were among the people. There was this sense of rising up, of overcoming those who oppressed them, of being free. And therefore, there was this reenactment of the prophecy of Ezekiel whenever he speaks about the water, the river of God, moving out from the east side of the temple in Jerusalem and getting deeper and deeper and deeper as it went, heading down east and south towards the Dead Sea, just a a number of miles out of Jerusalem to the southeast. And this fresh water going into that very salty, dead sea and with it bringing life and therefore bringing fishing and bringing crops and bringing fruit trees around the edge. Because the dead sea is just that dead, saline place where life does not flourish. And so this picture of Ezekiel 47 is about the river of fresh water going into the dead place and bringing about life in the water and round the banks. And it it speaks, it echoes the, the picture in Revelation 21 in those first verses where John again writes at the end of Scripture and has the picture of the river of God flowing out of the heavenly city Jerusalem and bringing life to the world. And the Jews would have understood that. We as Christians understand what that means. But John explains it in saying that When Jesus talked about living water at the Feast of Tabernacles, he was talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the gift of God. And so Jesus said these words that will appear on the screen here, uh, words whenever it comes towards the end of the feast. In fact, it's the final day, the last day. You can imagine the festival is getting... Uh, more and more high tempo, more and more excited, and uh, I suppose that something like Glastonbury, they may have some of the big acts towards the end, and there's there's an excitement coming towards them. On the last day of the festival, there was this great march led by the high priest down to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, and he would fill this golden pitcher Full of water from the pool. He would walk up into the temple, and the people in their thousands and tens of thousands would follow him. Can you imagine that picture of a march of tens of thousands of Jews shouting, singing, praying, celebrating? We're having citrus fruits and palm branches. Also during this festival, there was a theme of light. There was lanterns at night. There was dancing by torchlight. It was a 24-7 festival. And towards the end of this, they're walking up into the temple and the high priest pours out the water into the west side of the, of the altar into a, a golden funnel in the hope and the prayer that out of the east side of the altar, out of the temple gates and out of the temple door would flow this spiritual river of God that Ezekiel had seen in his vision, getting deeper and deeper and bringing life, life to the nations. So can you imagine in the midst of these tens of thousands of Jews, of the priests and the high priest and all the regalia involved in leading the people through the streets of Jerusalem from the Pool of Suam up until the temple itself and pouring out the water and the wine. And can you imagine the excitement and the furore and the concern of the Roman soldiers who are probably on standby around the edge wondering, is this spiritual move of God going to happen? Is this the time of the great Messiah coming? Is this the time of the new Moses? Is this the time of the liberation? And what does Jesus do even though he knows his life is under threat in this politically and theologically charged arena? He stands up on the last and greatest day of the feast and he says let anyone who is thirsty come to me to drink Whoever, he's shouting this. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Can you imagine? This is like lighting the torch paper in the midst of tens of thousands of Jews. In the midst of the high priests and the priests carrying out this ritual, this liturgy that's been carried out for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And Jesus says, don't look to that stone temple and all of this that is happening for this river of God to start flowing. You see, the Jewish people understood that the city of Jerusalem was the, was the navel of the world. It was the very center of the world in their thinking. The temple was seen as the very center of the navel. It was seen as the place of the innermost being of the earth. And so Jesus says that whoever believes in him and has that life in him, that out of their innermost being, streams of living water will flow. Jesus is saying that this river of God is going to flow from the new temple, and the new temple is Jesus Christ himself. And that we who come into this place of faith in Christ and have our sins forgiven and become fit and right and built into the temple of God, well, we are the place out of our innermost being, this stream of living water is going to flow. And it's going to flow into a dead world. And it's going to bring life and hope and healing and salvation. And by that, Jesus meant the gift of the Holy Spirit. That all of us have within us as those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have had our sins washed away and have overcome in Christ the consequence of death, that we will pass through death and we will pass into eternal life. We will pass from the place of living in tents and we will pass into the place where we have our permanent life dwelling. And so today, as the people of God, we are people who are like at the Feast of Tabernacles. We we gather around the big top, and the big top is the presence of God. And yet the presence of God goes out to us in all our little tents and shelters around God. And yet that presence of the Holy Spirit who meets with us in our temporary dwellings in which we live now in these frail bodies that we have, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he enlivens our hope and gives us assurance that this world is only a passing phase. And that the permanence of God, the place where there is a permanent dwelling for us, In my father's house, there are many rooms, said Jesus. There is a building, there's a structure, and the Holy Spirit within us speaks to our souls and whispers to our hearts that this world is not all there is. We are passing through and we are on the way home. And so just as the Jews at the Feast of Tabernacles then and now invited people round to say, come under our shelter, come into the presence of God, that's what we long for to see happen in our lives, in this country, and in every country of the world. I was really encouraged recently, as you know, in these last number of uh, months uh, just a Christmas time there, and once before that in August, we, we went round uh, the 4,000 homes in the parish and delivered letters of hope and uh, of Christmas cards and uh, John's Gospels of hope into people's lives. It's been good to see people respond to that, asking for clothes and food and prayer, and then we hope that Whenever we're able to, there'll be opportunities to go out during 2021 and begin to ring doorbells and knock on doors and and really see how we can encourage and and pray for people in that place. I was really encouraged recently that a friend of ours, friends of ours moved into a house in Bangor a number of weeks ago and and, uh, they had just got the keys for their new home. And uh, they were only in there for an hour, and within an hour, they had a card that came through the door that had the St. John's Gospel. It had the Christmas card, but it also had a personalized note to say, welcome to the neighborhood. And I thought, isn't that fantastic that someone in our church family has taken the initiative to take this letter, has seen a for sale sign, has seen a removal van, has seen people moving in, and I said, I just want to let you know you're, you're welcome to this neighborhood. And here's the local church that we're part of. During this last number of months, the Lord has been leading us increasingly in our day-to-day lives as a church family to move out to be people who are on the move. And if this passage, as John focuses on the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles tells us anything, it's about the fact that we need to be people who are on the move with God. So much of the problems that we create in this world happen whenever we seek permanence in this world. And we say, I will... I will build bigger barns. I will will claim this country. I will claim this city. I will claim these streets and they are ours and they will always be ours. Or I will stockpile riches on earth in the hope that somehow it won't happen to me what happens to everybody else, but in the end, it'll all be gone. Christ offers us permanency. And the gift of the Holy Spirit in us tells us and reassures us where permanency is to be found, is to be found in the kingdom of heaven. And that's where our treasure is to be found. That's where our focus is to be. That's where our energies are to go. And in that, we find a deep, deep reassurance. If we we focus on building up some type of false permanency in the here and now, then we will live a life of fear. We will live a life of always looking over our shoulder and saying, what if that happened to me? What if I got COVID? What if I died? What if I was involved in an accident? What if something happened to me? And we get caught up in a cycle and web of fear. Christ is the one who has shown us what it means to hold on to things lightly in this world and to keep our eyes fixed on heaven. To be people who move with God, who live in temporary accommodation, as it were, in this world, and spend our time and our energy and our finances on helping other people to come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, to have their sins forgiven and discover what it means to be alive in Christ. So Jesus' words echo some of the words in Isaiah chapter 55 that'll come on the screen, words in which Jesus invites people at the start of that chapter, first of all, uh, Christ speaking through Isaiah, speaking about coming to all those who are thirsty, And then Isaiah the prophet says, Seek the Lord when we may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. We'll not get to that place of freedom and joy and fulfilling all the potential God has given us by thinking our own way and making our own plans. We have to come to Christ, seek him out, turn from our old ways of doing things and trust that he will bring us into that place of living and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. A Christian leader called Henry Blackenby has uh, said these words that echo the fact that we need the mind of Christ. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. You cannot continue doing things your way and accomplish God's purposes in his ways. Your thinking cannot come close to God's thoughts for you do not do the will of God. For you to do the will of God, you must adjust your life to him, his purposes and his ways. I want to encourage us to do a number of things. First of all, in our day-to-day lives, every day, strenuously, wholeheartedly to seek the Lord. Above anything, anyone else, seek the Lord. That will involve turning from old ways, old ways primarily of thinking, old ways of acting. Christ, through Isaiah, says seek the Lord and also turn from the old ways of the past. And finally, to move in the Spirit. To be aware as we will increasingly become of the nudging and the moving and the power and the healing and the life that comes by the Holy Spirit. Not just in us, but primarily through us. Because it is actually the Spirit working through us that we experience the Spirit in us. It is as we take risks, as we write that note and pop it through a neighbor's door as we, as we pray, as we speak, as we make that phone call, as we share our faith, as we step out, move by the Holy Spirit, that's when we experience most powerfully the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how our fears are dissipated, because the love of Christ is in us and resting upon us more fully the way to deeper life and deeper hope and deeper joy and deeper assurance is effectively to live in that temporary dwelling in our mind in the here and now and look forward to the permanency in heaven and to invite others to experience, others to pitch the tent around the big tent of gathering. Another lovely picture of Glastonbury, that sort of sense of harmony and shalom and tranquility that comes in living, yes, in a temporary dwelling for the here and now, but living in the glorious presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and knowing that in Him we have an inheritance, a gift of permanency, a room in the mansion, a house in the village to be part of the city of God, the holy city, the great Jerusalem of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're alive and well. We thank you that you came to give your life for us. Lord, we turn to you today and we pray, Lord, that as you have promised, you would take away our sins and selfishness from us as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we make it a determination today to turn from everything that is a mess in our lives and is just trying to build some sort of permanency in the here and now and we turn afresh to you and we hold on lightly to everything that you've given us and we pray Lord that you would prompt us and move us Lord to be courageous and move with you in the power of the Holy Spirit to become increasingly aware of your presence and your peace and your nudging to have the mind of Christ, to be bold like Christ, to be compassionate and courageous. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit today. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would pour out your blessing upon us through Jesus Christ who has given us his life on the cross, bathed in his own blood, that we may have life in his name. Give us more and more of the spirit of Jesus Christ. May we go on the move with you. May our lives never be the same. To your glory in Christ our Lord. Amen.